Ah, that's it. Joe, I'm recording now. You're recording. I'm recording. I got my shit together. I'm recording. Hey, this is where it's another what the fuck mystery. Yeah, we should, we should have like a theme song. That was the theme song. Oh. All the listeners hear that theme oh, song. I don't just play that for your own fucking entertainment. <laughs> I was feeling like a parody or something like a. What the fuck, Mr. Rees, with Rich and Joe, and your brothers better know. I'm mean, bringing you the truth and fire, and trying to figure out who is the liars. There you go. Right, great. That's parody done. Perfect. You do that every week now, from now I, on. I'm not going to remember it next what week. What do you mean you're not going to remember it next week? That's the theme song. Uh, I think of a different one for next week. Fuck. Oh, go again. All right. Joe, this mystery is a fucking straight up mystery. A straight up mystery. I think every week is a straight up mystery. I like uh, this mystery, man. <laughs> I forgot this mystery existed, and I feel like you would know about it because there's definitely been there must there's definitely been a TV show or a movie made about this at some point. Okay, if it's been a TV show or a movie made, maybe I know. Well, well go on, go on. Okay, that's in the, the world of knowledge that I may have touched my brain at some point in, in my life. I think you may know it. I mean, okay, so on 24th of November 1971, I know it. Yeah, no. <laughs> a man boarded a flight to Seattle, Washington, from Portland. Oregon. Yeah. His plane ticket, bought with cash, identified him as Dan Cooper. DB Cooper. Yes. I know of it. But you don't know the real mystery. I, I, well, I've seen a show called Prison Break, and they talked about DB Cooper in the show. Okay. I think it's like he he jumped out of a plane with money or something. Oh yeah. Something like that. Yep. You're ready for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it. Though. So this is the real story, though that later out turned out to be a fake name, of course. Of course. Shortly after 3 p.m. The man handed a stewardess on the plane a note indicating that he had a bomb in his briefcase <laughs> and demanding that she sit with him. Was, he, she, she probably just thinks this guy really fancies me, right? <laughs> like, this is the worst pickup line, like, it's the most extreme pickup line I've ever had. <laughs> like, he's going to lengths to get me to pay attention. According to the FBI's account of the story, the stunt stewardess did as she was told. Soon, she was walking a new note to the captain of the plane. What do you think he demanded, Joe? <laughs> Let me sit in the cockpit. <laughs> I want to fly a plane. It's always been my dream. <laughs> Land here? I mean, no. It was none of those. <laughs> Don't. Oh, go on. You tell me. He demanded four parachutes. Uh-huh. And $200,000 in $20 bills. Why was he under the impression that the pilot, maybe pilots that get paid that much, they just walk around with that kind of money in their pocket? I think he just needed the pilot to contact someone to be like, look, this uh, guy is crazy, okay, he's got a bomb, okay, okay. he's going to explode us unless uh, we get $200,000. Leave it in some place and he'll parachute down to it, that's bonkers. What do you think this plan's definitely not going to work? Like, how's this plan going to work? I would think there's no chance in hell he's uh, not getting arrested and taking some, like, serious cock in prison within a few months. Okay. I mean... Okay, that's graphic. All right, so the man got what he wanted. Now known under the nickname DB Cooper, he became the perpetrator of the only unsolved plane hijacking in US history. Okay, I love that it says US history as if, like, in other history, oh yeah, there's been plenty of plane hijacking. No one knows nothing about it. Jumping out of the Boeing 277751. I know, Rich, numbers are hard. Sorry, sorry. It's after work, man. With a parachute and after a long week, after COVID, I'm still recovering, Joe. Yeah, that's true. With a parachute and the ransom money, which would amount to $1.3 million nowadays. No way. So, wait, I'll do I'm so sorry. He jumped out with the plane with that money? Yeah. 
So he had a bag of money that was just 1.3 million. Supposedly, this is what okay. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So D.V. Cooper, the incorrect nickname, emerged due to a miscommunication in early news reports and stuck. It was never seen again. He has never been identified. Much less arrested. So he jumped out of the plane whilst it's flying in the air. I, I don't know. We'll get to this shit. I'm oh, sure okay. we'll go over this stuff. But what's more of a mystery, Joe, is that this guy did this and has never been caught to this day. I like that. I like that. I like it when the criminals get away sometimes. Because of those mysteries, <laughs> his story has become a folklore of sorts. Cooper's identity has been the subject of decades of speculation. He's been referenced in novels, TV series, and films. Like Prison Break. If the story of this hijacking <laughs> is the solar system, Cooper's been its bright burning sun. 50 years on, a team of people is trying to reframe the narrative. Chief among them is Tina Mucklow. She was one of three flight attendants on board when the plane took off, Joe. We have a flight attendant involved. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. This is a witness now. Yeah, she's a witness. She's a, she's I want to hear the events. Could be a co-conspirator. I want to hear the events in her head. <laughs> and the only one left in the aircraft by the time Cooper escaped. What happened to everyone else? What the fuck? We'll find out. We'll he chucked him out the window. <laughs> After decades of silence, she finally she's finally ready to share her story. It'll be told in a film called Nod, If You Understand, expected to enter production in the year 2022, Joe. That's a long title. Nod, Nod if, you if You Understand. Expected to be released in 2020, that's a long title. Yeah. Uh, directing, uh, blah, 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 blah. In the interim, Makalo is speaking out to, I still can't feel things as I remember them in detail, she tells the Independent. I still get goosebumps at times. What a drama queen. Makalo, now 72 was 22 years old, 50 years, man, on the day of the hijacking. The most junior crew member on the aircraft. There were 42 people on board. That's not many. Three flight attendants, three pilots, and 36 passengers, uh, including the hijacker. As crew members were preparing for takeoff, Buckalo's co-worker, Florence Schaffner, got up to sit next to another person who turned out to be Cooper. In row 18. Oh, shit. While doing so, she dropped a note at Muckalow's feet. I picked it up, and it basically said, Miss, I have a bomb. Come sit next to me. You're being hijacked. I love that he was polite enough to say miss. I mean, uh... the bollocks of it is brilliant. (laughs) Come sit next to me. You're being hijacked. Dude, this is kind of like the Japanese one who robs the car. Yes, It's probably just words and no actual bomb and shit like Mm. that. Muckalow says... The fact that Schaffner had just got up to trade seats, totally not normal procedure, uh, told Muckalow the threat was real. Uh, the intercom system was right, up, sorry. was right next sorry, to me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I reached out and grabbed the phone, she recalls. Muckalow called the cockpit using an emergency signal, which wasn't supposed to be used this early on in the flight, while the plane was still taking off. I just died. I just had to talk, she says. I said, we're being hijacked. This is not a joke. Makalo recalls the event that followed in vivid detail. She remembers where she and her colleagues sat, what <laughs> what was said, she, and when. To be fair, uh, if someone else was approached about this whole bomb thing, they may have been a bit more sceptical and questioned it, and this could have whole thing been avoided. It sounded like he just got a soft touch and told everyone, it's for real, it's not a joke, and everyone just believed them. Yeah, I want to see if anyone sees the bomb. Um, in her recollection, she never refers to Cooper by name. He is the hijacker. Dun, dun, dun! 
He is the man who threatened 41 people's lives in exchange for money. Dirty money. He opened the briefcase. Threatened 42 okay. people's lives because he threatened his own life as well. We're fucking in it. He opened the briefcase and showed me the bomb. Okay. She says. He explained how it would work. That's good. That's good. That's very, very kind I mean, kind that's very of kind of him. I mean, I could... <laughs> I feel like I could show up on a plane and open a briefcase that has a, you know, like a... A toy in it, a children's toy, and say this is a homemade bomb. Now let me explain how it works, and someone could potentially believe it. I think I was probably in shock. Then he had his hand in the briefcase. He kind of closed it and looks out the window. Okay. Uh, Makaro's mind got to work. I was like, what am I going to have to do to handle the situation? What am I going to have to experience? There'll be an explosive decompression. Stuff's going to fly in the cabin! That's what what she's worried about. Stuff flying around in the cabin. Oh, good. She ain't got a finger on the pulse, man. And then all of a sudden, I was like, Oh! I'm not going to have to worry about any of this! (laughs) I'm not going to be here! What is this mad bitch saying? (laughs) I think she's realising she'll be dead. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's coming back to the planet Earth. Yeah, when that hit me in the face... Oh, sorry. Is it still... Yeah. When that hit me in the face... I tried to recognise that my life was probably at the end. And my first thought was, I wanted to run. Which is perfectly a normal reaction. But there was nowhere to but run. But there was no place to run! That's what she said, that's what she said. So right now I have a sketch of uh, uh, Mr Cooper. Yeah. And he looks like a suave motherfucker, Joe. Yeah. I won't lie. Uh, I'll give you a kind of look. Yeah, he does look like a suave motherfucker. He looks like a suave motherfucker. I think he could convince someone he had the bomb. I think that's quite a, just a, quite a good drawing as well. Like they've really nailed uh, the way he looks. He's kind of got a, a bit of a. He's he's got oval face, oval shaped face. He's got a little bit of hair. It's receding slightly on both sides. He look. I mean, he's got huge dick. <laughs> he's got he's got quite big ears and like a kind of thin nose, long nose, small lips, not very kissable. Uh, no stubble, you know. Uh, clean shaven. Are you reading your dating profile? <laughs> <laughs> Makalo for the passengers of the destination that may never reach it. And the plans they might not fulfill. All she cares about That's is what she's thinking. This woman is out of her goddamn mind. I started to pray. <laughs> Further proved it that she's out of her goddamn mind. I prayed for the passengers and their families. I prayed for my own family, thinking that I would never see them again. I prayed that they would understand. They're probably thinking the same thing. You sound crazy. I prayed for my own forgiveness. For all the faults and shortcomings. <laughs> She's repenting for her sins. She, she must like, be Catholic. I would She's have, got to be Catholic. I would have loved if everyone on the plane thought we're going to die and they all started unveiling the worst things <laughs> they've done to each other. I would love to hear all of them. <laughs> <laughs> As she did that, she turned her gaze to the hijacker. I was looking at him to the side and I was thinking to myself, he's willing to take the lives of all these I started to pray for him. You started to pray for him? Yep. God damn. And there was a sense of peace. I never really thought about my own mortality from that point on. So, what happened is, you know, she realised everyone could die. She prayed for everyone, even the guy who's going to blow everyone up. And that's what put her at peace. Oh, I don't know. Alright, alright, alright. became Cooper's point of contact. Uh, managing his demands, communicating with the cockpit, and trying to act as a barrier between the hijack and the passengers. The cockpit asked air traffic controllers for a holding pan, an area they could circle while the items Cooper had requested, the cash and the four parachutes, were being collected. They were told to keep flying over Puget Sound, a body of water near Seattle. 
Because if anything happened, Michael Oaks Benz, they didn't want us to rain down on people. <laughs> Fucking hell. Throughout their interactions with Cooper, Michael and her colleagues tried to be respectful of the hijacker, making sure he was feeling comfortable and that crew members were going to work with him. He wanted his demands met by a certain time. Depends what his demands were. Which posed a huge problem for the people on the ground. Makalo says, There were several times when he got really upset and I tried to keep him calm and reiterate that we were doing the best we could and trying to give him as much information as possible. The rest of the passengers, meanwhile, didn't know there was a man with a bomb on the plane. <laughs> yeah, he's smart. He'd keep me quiet. There could have been some passenger on there. He's like, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to take this guy down. It's probably not a real bomb he's got either. Um, and someone would have figured it out. That's why he wanted to keep it quiet. It's just, it's just some hot dogs. And he just said, this one connected. Hot dogs, hot dogs taped up with like gaffer tape. <laughs> and he put a little clock in there as well to make the tick, tick sound. As far as they knew, they were on a normal flight. They had regular demands. <laughs> Give me booze. Someone wanted to use the bathroom. One passenger asked for a sports magazine. Makala, of course, couldn't tell them why she was busy or why they shouldn't do certain things. I couldn't give away that we were dealing with a life and death situation back here! He says, when Cooper got annoyed at the flurry of passenger activity, she once again tried to reassure him. She would always be near him. She told him she would stand up. She would be a blockade between him and the other people on board. I mean, she's a fucking hero, Joe. She said, she's the hero, she said. This is what happened. The fact that he gets upset every time there's like passengers getting flustered, that to me is proof that he ain't got no bomb. <laughs> that means like he's, I'm gonna, look, I fooled you, you're a dummy, uh, but one of these people's gonna rumble me, so don't let them know. Let me just deal with your dumbass. <laughs> That's why he got upset when the passengers were stirring. By then, a plane was in place, uh, uh, sorry, a plan was in place to land the aircraft to collect the cash and the parachutes. The hijacker requested a fuel truck too, fucking hell, so that the plane could take off again. <laughs> Once they were airborne again, he would jump out using one of the parachutes. Uh-huh. If he jumps out using a parachute, ex-army maybe? So, did they have to land to get these parachutes and cash? Uh, yeah, they got land, collect it, and then go off again. Is that not the chance for the police to be like... Why was this not Die Hard 2? Yeah. This would have been Die Hard 2, it would have been perfect. There's definitely D.B. Cooper movies, right? There's definitely D.B. Cooper movies. I'm sure there's a Leonardo DiCaprio movie that's based on it. Really? Yeah, I'm sure of it. The Boeing landed in Seattle. Makalo and her co-workers had moved as many passengers to first class by that point, telling them only that the plane was experiencing a minor mechanical issue. Cooper, Makalo recalls, had designated her to collect the cash. So I did, she says. I went off and I got the money. The person handing her the money was a man named Al Lee, the airline's operations manager for Seattle. Um, whose voice am I doing? Okay. There was a moment when the two of us kind of had eye contact. I was only 22, so he looked more like a father to me. (laughs) She recalls. He said, "Abusive father who blows up planes." Are you okay? I had to blink. (laughs) I had to blink back tears, and I said, "I'll be okay." And I took the money and went back on the airplane. (laughs) Fucking shortest uh, conversation of her life. Yeah. How could she possibly have found it in herself to go back inside the plane when she knew her life would be at risk? So she got off the plane to get the shit? Yep. Okay. The passengers were still on board, she says. She's a hero. The lives of the passengers were our number one priority! This, you know what, I changed everything I said about this woman. She's not dumb. 
she saw an opportunity from the beginning and she ramped it up to make it into this huge terrorist threat so she could at the end of the day be like I came off the plane I got the money she waited 50 years though knowing that I still went back on and I kept everyone quiet I'm a god she's, she's fucking she's smart once they saw the money being delivered on board in knapsacks, she, she muses, they must have got a sense that the plane was not just dealing with a small mechanical issue. Still, they stayed seated. Muckalow delivered the money and asked the hijacker for permission to let the passengers off. He granted that permission. Okay, he did leave them off. Okay. Yeah. Eventually, the other two flight attendants, Schaffner and another employee called Alice Hancock, were released too. Only Muckalow and the three pilots were left with Cooper when the plane took off again. Ba ba ba! Yeah, that's that's the smart solution. Get everybody off the plane other than the people who need to drive it and the lady who's gonna open the door for you to jump out. Yep. Yeah. Cooper had wanted the stairs at the back of the plane to be lowered during takeoff, but when the crew members argued they couldn't take off with the stairs deployed, it was decided they would instead take off with one door open and then oh sorry, and that the stairs would be lowered whilst in the air. Uh, I was pro- I was terribly loud and, and eerie to have. I, I was terribly loud and eerie to have the door open during takeoff. Buckalo recounts, and the airplane was totally dark in the back. I felt so alone at that point. The hijacker told Buckalo to show her how to lower the stairs, then told her to go to the cockpit. Muckalow and the three pilots were to stay away from that point forward, not watching while Cooper supposedly lowered the stairs and jumped down. When the plane finally landed in Reno, Nevada, with the back staircase deployed, an indication that Cooper had carried out the part of his plan successfully, it was unclear whether he had actually jumped or whether he was still on board. Once it looked relatively safe to come out, Muckalow stepped off the aircraft. Pretty soon, a car came up and they were like, Who are you? She goes, I said, I'm one of the crew! Who are you? And they said, we're the fucking FBI, you dumb bitch. Oh, oh, so the FBI collected it. I really hope they addressed it. <laughs> I really hope they did. Um, right. Two cars came to drive the four remaining crew members away. It wasn't until she sat at the back of one of the vehicles, Muckalow recounts that the dam broke. Photos of the crew taken right after their landing in Reno show her as a shell-shocked 22-year-old, shoulders hunched, face blank, because no one died, the hijacking is often painted as a victimless crime. Cooper, we are told, got on a plane, made some demands, got away, and didn't hurt anyone physically along the way. This is all true, but there is something missing from the view. Trauma. <laughs> After the hijacking, Makalo asked to go home to visit her family. She did so, then returned to work as a flight attendant in December of 1971. Makalo stayed in that line of work until 1980. By then, there was no there was no diehard too. By then, she had embraced Catholicism. Of course, she had. After being <laughs> raised Protestant, oh no, she turned against the Protestants. She's a religion traitor. Oh my gosh! And entered a monastery. She was a nun for a few years. <laughs> okay. Then left the monastery and worked in social services, holding several positions in the field of mental health until her retirement. Good, good lady. In the background. As the FBI failed to identify the perpetrator, the story of the hijacking became the story of D.B. Cooper, a folklore source and a perpetual subject of fascination. It's been a sad journey, Muckalow says, to think that somebody who was a criminal and put the lives of the crew and the passengers at risk, plus those of any number of people on the ground, would be looked at as a hero. 
The hijacker, she points out, did a considerable amount of damage, not just that day, but in the years and decades that followed yeah. in the history of a commercial aviation. Aviation. I, I like to imagine that she had PTD, PTSD after it. And any time someone ever handed her a written note after that, she just sort of freaked out and said, I'll get the fucking money! <laughs> the 1971 hijacking is considered one of the events that marked the beginning of the more scrutinised, heavily regulated form of air travel we know today. Five decades on, Makalo still gets phone calls and letters from people trying to solve the case. I understand wanting to solve the crime, but I think they're very disrespectful of me and the other crew members too, she says. But I wasn't going to be defined by this. I moved on with my life and I enjoyed the things I had the ability to do. She sounds like an uppity bitch. <laughs> Even in the immediate <laughs> aftermath of the hijacking, she still loved flying. She does to this day. Up until now, Makalo has largely avoided the public guy. She only got involved with the new film project after producer... Joey uh, McFarland, whose past work includes The Wolf of Wall Street and Papa, Papa Leon, tried to call her twice and ended up leaving a voicemail making it clear that he wasn't interested in D.B. Cooper being Muckalow's own story. She's getting a story, she's, man. She's, she's playing she's hard to get. She's getting a movie. She's playing hard to get. She called me. He, she called me back within an hour, McFarland says. <laughs> McFarland talks like that. Oh, sorry, no. <laughs> she called me back <laughs> within... Fucking pigeon. Ah! Wait, God damn. She called me back within an hour, McFarland says. From there... He uh, really Sorry, said, a little drama on the podcast <laughs> here. Unplanned drama, but it was enjoyable. Dawn Bishow, the two <laughs> also co of the film, worked with Makalo, Mina and Burson several times, listening to her story and, and, diving, asleep. <laughs> and, and diving into the case archives. The FBI announced in 2016 it had redirected resources allocated to the D.B. Cooper case to focus on other investigative priorities, but a wealth of records remains available online. You know, Rich, I like to imagine that when this guy jumped out of the plane, <laughs> he just landed on some mountaintop somewhere and crashed and died. Oh, that's what I was thinking. And then a bunch of, like, goats and sheep made, like, um, nests out of all the money that flew out of the suitcase <laughs> and nothing, he never got away with nothing. I can imagine that happening, too. Uh, when you read accounts of the hijacking online, it looks like... Oh, sorry, no, this, I'm doing the wrong way. So, hold on. When you read accounts of the hijacking online, it seems like Tina just sat there and stayed calm. But she did so much more. <laughs> she's super humble. So she's not going to volunteer that she was a hero, but she is in fact one. I mean, it sounds like she is volunteering that she's a hero <laughs> yeah, to me. She used her wit, her sense of humour, and the other things to influence the hijack and save the passengers and crew. She got off the plane, and yet she chose to get back on to save the passengers. There were so many things she did. So that is our mystery. The mystery, you know, I mean... D.B. Cooper will still always be a mystery, but we now know who the fucking hero was, and it was this—it was this lady. I, I, I just this humble lady, Joe. I, I, I want to imagine who's having a movie made about her, splattered on a mountain somewhere, with money flying everywhere, rats coming and eating it or something. Oh God! I don't know if that, that lady's actually crazy or just the voice she did made me feel like she was. <laughs> I mean, I probably made her sound. Lunatic. I don't mean to be disrespectful to you. I'm sorry. It just made for entertaining listening. It did. Wait, where am I? Uh, next one. No, you've gone too far. Back. Too far. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Joe's missed my house, guys. Joe's missed my house. Um, I, I, I think we'll never know who D.B. Cooper is, but... I mean, he's dead by now, right? Oh, I think he's a crazy mystery again, just like the Japanese one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like how he never got caught. He never, even, he never got identified. Like, I get that cash is, like, untraceable and quite hard. Obviously, in modern-day society, it's so much easier because there's cameras everywhere. But it's just insane that still... 
I, I, I do uh, I do feel a little bit uh, hard done by all this technology. Like, what if I had some amazing crimes I was going to commit, but I can't. Cause I'm, yeah, you, yeah, you came into life too late, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I only would commit these amazing crimes because I know about them from the past, though. That's true. So I'd have to go back in time. And... Now you're just time traveling and making yeah. this complicated. And I've come too early for time travel because it's not invented yet. I mean, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um... How's this mystery rank for you, Joe? Uh, do you know what? In terms of a mystery, I don't find it very mis- mystifying at all, but okay. I really enjoyed uh, what we talked about and hearing this lady's story and uh, making fun of her as much as I could. 